I'm Ruth Sturkey and welcome to Money Expresso, no froth conversations exploring money and life. Money is a story, an energy, a source of happiness and well-being, as well as being a source of fear and anxiety. Many of us struggle to see that money is just a means to an end and that the decisions we make and the habits we build around money can change our life and the lives of others. Why are so many of us inhibited when it comes to talking about money? That's what I'd like to explore. Listen as my guests from all walks of life share their stories and how money has impacted their journey. My hope is these shared experiences will help you think differently about money and ultimately make better money and life decisions. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of Money Expresso. How are you? Well, I hope. Now, I accidentally started the first episode of Ozark the other day. Now, if you haven't seen Ozark, it's a compulsive Netflix series about money and drug smuggling, which I binged during uh, lockdown. Now, where am I going with this, I hear you ask? Well, at the start of episode one of the first series, Marty, who's one of the lead characters, has a monologue which kind of sets up the series. And it includes the following words that really resonated with me in a sinister kind of way. He says... Money is not peace of mind. Money is not happiness. Money is, at its essence, a measure of man's choices. Mm, Sinister, as I say. However, it does lead me nicely to today's guest, who is a man who fortunately has made some really good money and life choices. That man is Davy Lewis. Davy tells me about his journey to becoming a premiership winning rugby player and his retirement and transition at age 30 to becoming a financial planner. He tells us about the focus and determination it takes to become a professional sportsman and how he used his experience being paid to do the job he loved to prepare himself for his second career. Listen out for his encounter with his childhood hero too. Davey, welcome to Money Expresso. I've been really looking forward to having you on for months now, so glad you could make it. Oh, thank you, Ruth. Yeah, always always enjoy chatting to you, and it's a pleasure to be invited on. Oh, thank you so much. Um, Dave, we've got so much we're going to be able to talk about today, so I'm super excited. But maybe you could just tell me in a nutshell about your journey through professional sport to becoming a financial planner. Sure. So, um, in, a, in a nutshell, I, I started playing for Gloucester when I was 18 um, after A-levels and then played for a few few teams in, in my career. Ended up at Exeter for a few years and ended then my career at Quinns. So retired when I was 30 and um, then I'd at the same time been doing my qualifications. Um, so I was level four and um, decided to retire at 30 and I moved to St James's Place, um, had a practice there stayed there for about a year and a half and then I moved to a independent firm called Timothy James and Partners where I am now and I've been here for about 14-15 months I think. God it's a really um, uh, strange concept to think of um, retiring at the age of 30 which will will no doubt come back but that's that's a beautiful little nutshell which is exactly what I asked for so thank you very much for that uh, Dave. Um, I'm going to come back and actually dig around a little bit because I'd love to understand a little bit more about what it's like to be a professional sports person but it always really helps me set the scene a little bit as well in my mind um, to kind of take you scorching back to um, being a little boy and asking you what's your earliest memory of money 
and kind of what was money like for you growing up? Yeah, sure. Um, my, my earliest memory of money was, was probably playing Monopoly um, with my family, to be quite honest. Um, and then I remember dad as well. He also, mum and dad built this kind of like shop um, for me and my sister. And it was, you know, like they'd made like paper money and, you know, you charge people, whatever it was, probably about like £50 for an apple at that stage, um, over overcharging. Um, but yeah, so, so that was probably my earliest memory of money. But um, I think when I, actually, when I actually started learning maybe a little bit more about it was, um, and this is quite traditional, I think, but um, they drew up a list of chores, household chores. And um, as you can imagine, like the, the worst ones, like cleaning the car, for example, were, were paid a little bit better than maybe washing the dishes. Um, but that was my earliest memory of money. So I think what well, I know I've taken from that, I think from an early age, that you kind of have to work for money. Um, and that's probably always been instilled in me. And I, th- I think we used to go shopping, for example, and if, if I saw a toy um, or something that I wanted or, or, you know, at the time thought I really needed, um, as kids do, um, mum and dad were always very much like, yeah, of course you can. Um, you know, how much have you got in your piggy bank, for example? And, and if it wasn't enough, it was like, okay, if you want that, you know, you need to do this, this and this, and then you earn a little bit more money and you can go and get whatever it was, I think. At the time, I used to be quite into Warhammer, which is a little bit embarrassing now, but um, but yeah. Um, so that was probably, yeah, my earliest memories of money. Um, and I think, yeah, I probably carried the the belief that you have to work to, to earn all the way through, really, and I'm not sure whether that's right or wrong. I don't think there really is a right or wrong answer um, to it, to be quite honest. It sounds like really good early lessons, and I, I like that picture that you've painted of you and your sister having a having a shop, um, yeah. And did what was what was the thinking behind that from your mom and dad? Do you think? Do, do you know what? I've got no idea. Um, yeah. to, to be quite honest, um, yeah. I think it was. It was. I. I, I don't know. Yeah, I actually don't know. Um, it just mm. kind of happened. Um, mm. But it's weird because now I think of it, we've actually got a shop for um, Olivia, um, mm-hmm. our daughter. And she has a little till on it, and it's not—it's um, not anything we planned to do. It's just we were walking. She had a voucher for a, a toy shop, um, and she just chose it. And yeah, she had had the money. So mm. um, maybe it's because we'd seen um, our mum and dad um, buying things in shops and wanted yeah. to be, you know, grown ups and yeah. um, do that. Um, but no, I've never actually thought of why they did that. But yeah. Um, made it something to do that. It's it's a lovely story because it, it also reminds me of um, when I was a little girl and I remember having a post office and um, Linda Wybrow, who was my wonderful business partner in, in the Red House, I remember a couple of years into the Red House and we were, we were really proud of what we created. And uh, Linda had had the same experience as a little girl as I had having her post office. And we felt like our post office had come to life, that we got <laughs> our, our kind of fully grown up post office. And we even like mimic that action of, you won't remember this, Davey, being a young lad, but, you know, stamping things like they used to do in the post office. And we were, it was, it was such a, such a lovely uh, moment for us both. But um, Is that the old book? Like your old bank book? Yeah. Yeah, I, I remember like very, very early days, <laughs> like. Um, if I ever got gifted money for um, Christmas or, or birthdays or something, going down to mum and dad and, yeah, going into the bank, stamping mm. the book, I feel, yeah. So I'm not that young. <laughs> it's 
to hear, David. Good to hear. Now, um, and so, yeah, money um, uh, in your head, it's always been working for money. And um, that's that's um, it's probably not a bad ethos to grow up with. Um, you know, you, you, it sounds like it was a very realistic upbringing. And, and another thing I understand from just doing a bit of research um, before the podcast that you were born in Manchester, but... You, I think you were brought up in the southwest. Am I correct in thinking that? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, so mum and dad were teachers, and mm-hmm. um, my sister's actually born in Aberdeen because they were. Sorry, I say they were teachers. I'm going to contradict myself here. Dad was working on the oil rigs at the time, mm-hmm. um, but then I think he'd always had his teaching qualification. So then went into teaching, mm-hmm. and they'd got jobs and went to uni in in Manchester. So we were living there, and I was born in Manchester, and then mum was uh, always from North Devon, I think Ilfracombe, um, she was born in, and we moved back to Barnstable to basically be closer to the family, and they they got um, some jobs back in Devon, so we'd always been, I, I only ever know Devon as my home, um, although yes, I was born up north, so technically you could say that I'm northern, but um, <laughs> I don't have any of that twang in my voice, I don't think. You don't, and and you, but you you seem to have got away without the U-R. And, and <laughs> you, you and I have shared this before, but the uh, the coincidence is that I was also brought up in Barnstable, but was born in Birmingham. So I guess I've got that Midlands twang, but um, <laughs> but a, a beautiful part of the world to be brought up. Yes, so. it is lovely. Yeah, it was yeah, brilliant, brilliant upbringing. Yeah, which begs the question: How did you get into rugby, Dave? Um, so mum and dad, um, were always, so the school they taught at was called St. Michael's, um, and it was a little primary school on the outskirts of Barnstable. And, um, we used to do all sports, rugby, football, cricket, um, athletics, rounders, swimming. It was, it was a really great school Mm. for that. It was really active. Um, and yeah, I, I was always very keen on any sort of sport at that age. I kind of probably excelled at rugby a little bit more than football. Um, and because of that, I think I probably liked rugby a little bit more. So then I asked dad if I can go down to the rugby club, the local rugby club. Um, and that was it really. So I was doing sort of rugby twice a week. Um, and that's, yeah, that's how I got into it really. Mm. I, th- I think I think it always, to be honest, it always helps when you're reasonably good at it as well because obviously, um, yeah, you, you do just enjoy it a bit more. And, and yeah, I seem to be quite good. Um, yeah. I like running around, scoring tries. Um, so yeah, so I just carried on. And what position did you play, Davy? At that age, mm-hmm. um, you'll laugh, but I was a hooker, I think, originally. Dad, right. Dad shoved a scrum hat on me, I think, and um, I think they were a little bit short at hooker. So I started at hooker, quickly found out that I didn't like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went, I think, to sort of wing um, mm-hmm. originally, because I was relatively quick at that age. And then I've just slowly sort of migrated in towards the forwards again, never quite wanted to go back into the forwards. Um, ended up as a scrum half because I like to be heard um, yeah. <laughs> and I like, to, I like to feel like I'm in control. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I ended up at scrum half. But, yeah, originally I was a hooker, which is a bit embarrassing now, thinking about it. Why is that? Why, why would that be embarrassing? Excuse my rugby ignorance. Oh, um, well, because hookers are traditionally big men, quite tough, um, yeah, like the rough and tumble. And yeah. although, obviously, like contact's a big part of rugby... I wouldn't say that I'm, that's not the part of it that I enjoy most. Right. Dip, diplomatically. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it, it sounds to me, Dave, like you're being really modest because there's one thing to be, you know, a pretty handy schoolboy rugby player 
Um, but it's another thing entirely to take that through to being a professional. What what was it? What were the kind of either physical and or character traits that enabled you to maybe stay the course and and get noticed and uh, go to Gloucester at 18? I'm fascinated by that. Um, so, yeah, no, to be honest, there's, there's so many kids that, um, that are very good at a young mm-hmm. age. Um, and yeah, I was one of those kids and uh, there was a, like an academy program called the Southwest Academy that um, I sort of got into through through playing well at clubs and and for sorry playing well at um, school sorry and for my club. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically, someone said, you know, if you worked hard, you've got the chance of being professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the the best thing for me, so, so I did. So I basically I went and, and played for England under 16s and everything was going really well but I think my first um experience of sort of not failure but just like a setback was at um at England 16s where I was in the the A side so that's like the one down from the first team um and then I got actually dropped from that from that A side to the England B side which is then like the third string for the last game which was kind of gutting for me um and then basically I was dad kind of said um you know unlucky son like you still play for England and I was like no uh that's not unlucky I could do more um so we we talked about it um with you know dad and um some of the academy coaches and no no sorry I wasn't in the academy sorry at that stage um this was still schoolboy and then Mm. basically um the academy coaches before going into the academy were said well these are some of the things you could do and it was it was simple things um, like practice your passing more, practice your kicking more, get a bit fitter, get a bit stronger. Mm. Um, so then dad, bless him, would um, come down with me early mornings at the weekend or at some time at the weekend and we'd just kick and kick and pass and mm. pass. Um, and we must have done, you know, thousands and thousands of reps um, over that period. And we did, I did fitness, etc. And then, you know, lo and behold, um, it came to sort of under... 17s 18s and I got back into the England set up into the team that I wanted to so into the first team and at the time there was like a national academy mm-hmm. um, and I'd got into that as well so yeah again um, going back to my sorry early beliefs of you know working hard and you get rewards I know we mm. talked about it being from a money monetary point of view earlier mm. but um, yeah it was like I, I again had evidence of I'd gone back and worked really hard and then I got my reward um, yeah. and, and that's something that's definitely always um, sort of been with me throughout my life, I think. That, and that's um, to have that self-awareness and discipline as a, as a teenager, I, I, I think is just fascinating when, when there were, you know, potentially so many other distractions around. Did, did you feel you had to, what did you have to give up to follow your passion to perform at, at such a high level? Uh, I guess like the, the big thing that I gave up is I was at a I was very lucky to well sorry no lucky long work I, I worked really hard and then I was given a scholarship to uh, a really nice school in Tiverton called Blundells which you may mm-hmm. have may have heard mm-hmm. of yeah. Um, so yeah I was there and I absolutely loved it and I think the main thing I gave up was that I actually moved from Blundells to Ivybridge um, which again was a really good decision in hindsight um to sort of pursue this career in the academy and combining it with with the sporting side 
in the hope that you get a professional contract when you leave school. Um, but I remember in my first term at Ivy Bridge, I kind of remember ringing Dad and just saying, like, basically, like, I'm homesick, I don't want to do it. Um, and I think that was probably, it was it was a temporary thing. Um, mm. But, um, yeah, that was probably the main thing that I gave up, is that I had a really nice, and I still do speak to them, but I, I had a brilliant group of friends at Blundells, really enjoyed it. Mm. Um, and I think that was probably one thing that I gave up. But in terms of, like, you know, like, I, I've heard other athletes before sort of saying like oh, I gave up my childhood because I was training all the time and I gave up going to parties and all that sort of stuff mm. I, I I can't really say I did um mm-hmm. not that I went to I'm not saying that I went to all these parties and got really drunk so obviously we were underage but like we weren't there wasn't it wasn't like we were having parties every week it'd be like once once a term sort of thing um so I didn't to be honest I didn't really feel like I gave up much yeah. of the time um it was just kind of I think I'd set in my head where I wanted to get to. Yeah. Um, I basically asked, what do I need to do? Um, yeah. I worked it out, and then it was like, okay, fine. Like, I really want to do that, so that's what I'm going to do. This is how mm. I need to do it. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's amazing. And, you know, I, I, I think the, the, the thing that you said there that really resonates with me is that that's a, that sense of, you know, not giving up, but moving away from your your friends and your family and that, that sense of loneliness, which we all go through when we kind of, you know, leave home for the first time or go to, uh, I, I left home because I went away to train as a nurse and, you know, many people go to university or whatever it might happen to be and, and it, it's kind of quite paralysing in the moment, but you, you could obviously see the bigger prize and to, to, to push through that um, and you, you set about doing it, which I think is extraordinary. And and then so you um, started to play for Gloucester um, and um, I, I and, and then you were at Exeter. So t- tell me about the life of a professional sportsman. What what what's that like in terms of your daily or weekly routine? Um, how, how is that? Uh, of course, um, and I would caveat this with that I've been retired for three years now so it may have changed a little bit um mm. but back back when I was playing I mean one it, it's brilliant um it, it, it's really really tough at the same time um and I think some people do underestimate it a little bit um but it, it is brilliant it's a brilliant way of life um and it's good fun but in terms of like a usual usual week I think most teams are now sort of starting work at sort of seven thirty um mm-hmm. on a Monday especially and that the Mondays are, are typically um, if you've played at the weekend, it will be you know part recovery, part review, um, and sort of part strength training, a bit of fitness for the boys that maybe haven't played or played mm-hmm. less. Um, but it's it's probably quite analysis heavy. Um, mm-hmm. That was definitely my experience um, when I was playing. Um, and then Tuesdays is is quite physical. You, you're usually doing double rugby maybe a weight session in there as well, maybe some extra fitness as a top-up. Um, and that's already, already you're looking towards the weekend then. So your, your Mondays are kind of reserved for review. Tuesdays then you're, you're thinking about the next game, so the next Saturday basically. Um, Wednesdays are a bit lighter, tend to be like a half day um, or, you know, like an early afternoon finish. Uh, Thursdays are typically off. Fridays your team run, um, which is like a... More, more than a jog, um, but no contact mm-hmm. in there. And mm-hmm. then, obviously, Saturday games and then Sunday's off. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of a typical week. 
Um, yeah. Which, to be honest, it sounds... Uh, I don't know if it sounds good or bad to you, um, but its I, I wouldn't describe it any differently to someone working in, in another profession because you only really have two days off because yeah. even when you're doing like the half days, players are doing their own analysis, their own recovery, their own yeah. extra bits and pieces. And um, I'd, I'd say definitely like you're, when you're training like your two full days, your Mondays and Tuesdays for a lot of sides, it is kind of eight till five probably. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a full working day um, and it's it's physical naturally because of the, the profession. So yeah. yeah, it's pretty tiring. But again, it's brilliant at the same time. It, and... I mean that you know to me you 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 ask the the, the question I don't know whether that sounds good or bad I, I I'm just like sitting here and grimacing at the thought of the physicality of it to be perfectly honest um, but but you know I, I totally get it's your it's your profession and you know you're working your physical muscles as opposed to I don't know maybe a bit more like you're doing these days when you're 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 working your your uh, mental muscles but then actually I'm going to catch myself out and think well no there's got to be a huge amount of thought and tactics and strategy that sit behind being able to be a rugby player playing at the top of your game um so um yeah mental and physical workouts I'm sure and and I'm, I'm fascinated by the notion of team and you know I think and I think this was an article that I saw that um I think it was actually your retirement quotes that I found Davy, and uh you know normally a, a you know a kind of armchair sports person like me you think of the team and you're thinking of the people that you know you're, you're playing with or the people on the bench or whatever but of course the team is so much wider than that isn't it um how, what, what does the word team mean for you in the context of of a professional sports person um it's, I think it's it's everything that goes into the the fifteen players on the pitch or the twenty three players on the pitch on a Saturday. So that actually starts at home. Um, mm. And I've um, obviously having had kids now become much more aware of that, and much more appreciative of that. That um, like my team now is obviously sorry. I do still play a little bit of rugby, but it's to start from the, the sort of the home ethos is that my team now is is Rachel and the two kids. Mm. Um, so that starts from then, like a happy player coming in, that's good. But then there's also, um, you've got your sport, like S&C staff, your sports uh, science conditioning staff, sorry, that sort of make sure that your body's uh, in a peak state or, you know, <laughs> I have to say rarely any rugby player's body's in a peak state, but <laughs> a, a good enough state to go out and pitch. Yeah. Um, you've got all your physios, um, masseuses, doctors. Uh, then you've got your analysis team, um, you then got coaches, like more traditionally thought of coaches, um, but they're obviously split down into into different sort of sections now or sectors, um, depending on their their experience, their expertise. So typically, you'd have like an overriding coach, a backs coach, who t- sometimes will be the attack coach as well, defence coach, forwards coach, even like scrum coaches, line out coaches. Um, it's yeah, it's um, it's thorough, yeah. um, but also. Around that, you've um, I think like special mention. They don't get mentioned sometimes, but you'll have your um, what I call um, like your playing staff, which mm-hmm. is is the kind of the people I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I hope I haven't missed out anyone there. I'm, sh- I'm sure I have. Um, but then you've got your non-playing staff who are just as important, or um, and sort of like kit men are always brilliant, or kit mm-hmm. ladies are always brilliant. Yeah. Um, but you've also got like the staff that actually probably work more at the club um, on like the 
commercial side, but they're equally like important in terms of like um, feeling around the club and um, you know if because typically some players might get dropped a week, one week or something, not be a bit annoyed. Um, go and do some um, coaching in the community or go and do an appearance or two. And, and obviously, if they've just come from training and just been dropped, they're probably not in the best mood. Um, but then, obviously, these guys are important to sort of, you know, um, buoy them up and, you know, make sure that they appreciate, you know, where they are and, and also that the people they're going to see get, get a, you know, what they want out of it. So, um, and that's kind of like the wider team that um, a lot of uh, sort of spectators don't really see. Um, but yeah, everything goes into it. It's a huge organisation at the end of the day. I think yes. what would be good um, is there's a there's a uh, TV series called Hard Knocks, which is um, it's actually follows the NFL. But if you watch that, or if any of your listeners wanted to watch that, NFL have taken it to a um, like the the top top level. But like the amount of um, people they have feeding into players who then obviously feed into the team is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, it's a big, big old organisation. It's a big machine, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, huge. Very, yeah. very big. And really, really fascinating. And um, in in terms of your rugby career, what what would you say has been your highlight? Um, uh, it, it's a weird one. So I've won, I've been lucky enough to be part of squads that have won a few trophies, um, which is great, and I think um, we. I was at Exeter when they won the Premiership, and that was that was fantastic. Um, oh just my to be, god, that must have been incredible. It, it was, um, but at the same time, like my if you if they ever asked me about like what my best memory is, it would only be it'd be memories from games, and mm. not necessarily games that we particularly won. Um, but it would be we played when I was at Exeter. We played a side called Toulon, who were European champions at the time. And their their backline was, or their their entire team actually, like complete, completely star studded, like world, like proper world legends of the game were playing, and I remember looking up from a scrum and thinking this is awesome because, <laughs> like in the backline, um, there was sort of like Johnny Wilkinson was was playing, who was obviously a hero of oh every goodness. English boys, um, yeah. playing uh, growing up. Then you had Matt Gitter, who I thought was class, and you know is is a world world class player. And I mean that those were just two names, and they they were literally the first receiver on on either side of the scrum. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I could go on. There was like loads of players in that that team that day. Um, but yeah, so stuff like that. Um, being able to have Livy Teddy's never unfortunately been able to do it, but have Livy running around on the pitch after the game, and there being like a few fans that were like chanting and um, oh. which she loves. So that was nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, probably the. I don't know why, but the too long game always sticks out in my mind. Um, I bet it does, yeah. yeah. And and like, how did that? How did that feel? What what did Dave Lewis think when you're looking up and there's Johnny Wilkinson and you're on the same pitch? Um, I'll be honest, I can't I can't say exactly what I thought because <laughs> it's. Um, but basically, I thought, oh my god, I'm absolutely. Um, well, I can't can't say the word, but I'm absolutely here because whatever happens. <laughs> You know they're both awesome. Um, Incredible. Yeah, but I I remember just looking up, thinking like that was my first thought, and then I thought this is pretty awesome. Um, mm. But yeah, that that would be. That's I can how imagine. I thought, yeah. yeah, brilliant. I I I love that vision. Now, um, I could talk to you for ages about rugby, but I'm going to kind of move us on just slightly and and think. So there you are, Davy. You're playing rugby, 
you've been part of the Exeter Chiefs winning the Premiership, I think it was in 2016. You've been on the same pitch as uh, the likes of Johnny Wilkinson. And um, this blooming thing called age is like, you know, trundling along in the background. Um, that must be quite a... Um, Quite a thing for a young man to be dealing with this kind of short career window that you have. Well, how, how did that? How did that feel and play out for you? Um, I mean, towards the end of my career, um, I, I yeah, I naturally got. Uh, I was, as soon as we had Livy, mm-hmm. I was very much aware that of my age and, and that it's going to end, etc. But um, I think I was relatively lucky and this is going to sound horrible but when I was 20 I think 2021 20, mm-hmm. I won myself had an injury um which put me out of the game for a little bit not nothing too bad um but also a couple of the um squad members of Gloucester had to retire through injury mm-hmm. um oh, yeah which is this is what I mean it's, it's mm. awful that it happens to them but what it sort of showed me at an early age is, is one of them transitioned really well because um he'd obviously Plans. He he was doing stuff outside of rugby. He was, I think, coaching at a few schools. He'd um, was sensible with his money. He'd insured himself, etc. Um, so when he retired, it was really rubbish. But he actually had something to go to, to yeah. something else to focus on. And his transition was, dare I say, it, relatively smooth. Obviously, everyone has their challenges, but it was, you know, as smooth as it can be, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other guy um, was a little bit older, but. Um, he, he was kind of, I wouldn't say scratching around, but he, he just had a bit more of a challenge in in sort of his next stage of his his, his life. Mm. Um, so that literally immediately brought home the fact that I know which person I'd rather be. Um, mm. So, yeah, started, um, I actually started, I think I did RO1 in when I was about, I think it was 2013. I yeah. look back at my things the other day because I had to do uh, some compliant stuff um yeah. so yeah I, I don't know how old I would have been then 22 23 and that's um, the first paper in our world isn't it for yeah. um becoming a financial planner yeah yeah that's right um so yeah so I kind of was always I'd, I'd, I've always been doing something in the background I've always mm. been um either be studying or doing a little bit of work experience etc um mm. but it is um it can be scary but I think it's how you frame it really and there was um, a guy that I played at Quinns with um, who is super successful off the pitch and he's an absolute legend on the pitch. Um, and he framed it in a completely different way and I think he's he's spot on, is that rugby is, or sports careers, um, they are they are a career, but they're, it's not so much a career, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to get paid something that you love doing mm-hmm. um, whilst at the same time actually pre- preparing yourself for whatever your next career is. Um, yeah. And I think that was a brilliant way of framing it. And I thought about it afterwards thinking, yeah, you're right, because you are getting paid to do what you love doing. As yeah. much as I say, you know, and, and it is it is very hard. You do still have time to study or, or yeah. do something else. Um, and it's it's a great position to be in um, where you're getting paid enough to not, you know, to, to do everything you want to do yeah. whilst preparing yourself for whatever is next. 
Um, and what a brilliant way of looking at it. And But it's it's about making that active choice, isn't it? About, okay, well, you've done your training, you've done your half down on Wednesday, whatever it is. Oh, I could go home and, um, you know, play computer games or watch a film, or I could get my RO1 textbook out and study to be a financial planner. And it, But it's having that foresight and making those good choices that it sounds like you were able to to see um i would say though if i mean i did play my fair share of computer games um <laughs> as well yeah there was definitely i'm definitely not i've definitely um not been studying for um since i was whatever age it was you know I, I played played a lot of computer games but i think at the same time the way i looked at it is um is you know i gave myself you know a fair few months of revision before sitting any of these exams yeah and it was just a case of like i'm gonna do like five or six hours a week I think basically, like what I said to myself, I'm just going to do an hour a day, yeah. or something like that. Perfect. Um, and yeah, so it was. You know, it's not. It's so not, you could still play your computer games. I'm I'm pleased to hear that. I know. I mean, I got quite good at Call of Duty, but not as good <laughs> as some of the other lads, unfortunately. <laughs> and and a question that um, I'm I'm sure people listening. Well, maybe it's just me being nosy, but you know, what is the money like in? I mean, I don't, you don't have to give me figures. I'm you know I'm not being that. I, nosy. I don't mind, Ruth. I've said it before on other podcasts. Okay. Yeah. So I'm I'm intrigued. You know, we yeah. we hear all of these stories about footballers. You know, Premiership footballers being paid a fortune. Yeah. Um, what's it like at the level where you were playing? Um, so I'll, I'll just take you through my career. So when I signed at Gloucester, um, mm. my so I was there for six years, and it went five thousand, ten thousand. 30,000, 40,000, and then I think 70 times yeah. two, I think 70, 70. Um, then I took a pay cut to go to Exeter, and I think my first year it was 47 mm-hmm. and a bit, and then mm-hmm. played a lot in that first year. So then the second year it was more around 70, mm. and then I think it jumped to 90 for the last yeah. two years. Yeah. And then um, when I was Harlequins, it was 125 for two years. Um, yeah. So that that was my career, yeah. Um, and yeah, Gosh, like, it, it certainly um, went up exponentially when you were at Gloucester, and 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 um, and I, you know, it's it it certainly is. I guess it is, you know, good good money for for a young person doing something that they they love, but it ain't going to set you up for life, is it? No, no, no. It's it's definitely not. I think mm. when I was playing, so when I retired the average salary in the premiership was 130 apparently. So right. I was still below the average yeah. um, according to the RPA. And I've heard, and I, I, again, I can't confirm this, this is from another player, but I've heard that it's, it's gone up since then. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I'm not sure that's true because the salary cap's gone down. So yeah, I don't know how the two sort of work. Um, mm. But no, you're right. It's not, it's not enough money to sort of finish playing rugby and, mm. and not have to do anything. It's still enough money at a, uh, at a stage in your life where you maybe don't have loads of commitments that you you can save a little bit um yeah. or you know a little bit save a lot you know yeah. it's that's the individual but um yeah it's 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 like you said it's good money um and yeah that's that's what i can say it's and not life changing though and if you use your um your your colleagues uh, view that you're getting paid to prepare yourself for your next profession that's a that's a beautiful way of looking at it what's been the the have there been any surprises in the transition you've had to make from sports to financial planning? Um, I think the big surprise or the big thing I've had to get used to is is the pace of it, I think. I think it's so 
I think we discussed before the pod, but um, I'm very much used to sort of daily, weekly feedback mm. um, like uh, throughout my career there. Whereas in whatever sort of profession you go into, you're not really getting that as much. Like you're not having someone sort of email you in the evening sort of saying, you did this really well, but you need to improve this. And that's not um, that's not always healthy either, yeah. um, mm-hmm. having that. But yeah, so, so that's definitely um, something that took getting used to. And, and I actually, I think it was a challenge for me in the first sort of uh, year, especially. Mm. Um, um, and what else have I had to get used to? I mean, like, money, the money side of it, obviously, um, I didn't earn, I would have liked to, but I didn't earn £125,000 in my <laughs> first year outside of rugby. Sure. Um, but at the same time, obviously, I was well aware of that and um, took that into account. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was fine. But, you know, typically that is can be a bit of a challenge for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Maybe, like, sort of expectations of what they could earn outside of rugby is maybe exaggerated, um, not maybe realistic at times. So that, that can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, yeah... I don't know whether I've waffled on a bit there. No, I think, no, to be no, honest no, with um, it, no, I, I, I get that thing about your. You've been so programmed for, you know, twelve years of your life to be getting instantaneous feedback. You know, on a match by match, training session by session basis, listening to your body, having your your kind of coaches and your your team colleagues as much as anything else. You know, telling you how good or otherwise you may have been um I I do get that in a professional workplace that is going to be different and um and I guess that's then the importance of whoever is your your manager or mentor at work kind of recognizing what you need as an individual as opposed to you know maybe other people need to be managed in a in a different way but um, yeah I would say sorry just something to add to that actually is I think this is a huge benefit I think for um I would say most sports people, um, but I'll talk for myself. I don't want to talk mm. for them. But um, I think in typically we're, we're pretty good at separating personal feedback from actual performance feedback, what I call it. So okay. they're very used to, um, or very used to sort of saying, um, you could do this better, or you could do that better, or you did that really well, and these are the behaviours that you showed to do that really well. Um, and I think sometimes in the professional environment, um, and I guess it's different, different companies. But in the professional environment, I think feedback is seen quite personally. Mm. Whereas I'm quite, I think most sports people are quite, would be quite happy you just being brutally honest. Um, yeah. Because if it's performance related, which, you know, and that's different to each job, yeah, then they're used to it. Um, yeah, I wouldn't, you know, they're not hoping, they're not looking for you to say, I don't really like you because of X, because that's personal. But like if it's, you know, work and performance related, be as honest and brutal as, as you want, I think, because that's what they've been used to and that's probably what they crave a little bit as well. And, and that's such an important distinction to make, isn't it? That the, the feedback, the comments, it's not about you as a person, a father, a financial planner, a friend, whatever that may be. It, we're just talking about your day-to-day performance. And yeah, yeah, I think we could all learn from that. I think that's a really um, strong message. It's, you know, don't take it personally, look, look at it and learn from it um, and, and seek the help you need. Uh, Davey, what does real success look like to you? What 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 is that for you? Um, I'm still pondering that, to be quite mm. honest. Um, yeah, I don't. I think for us at the moment, um, it's it would always be about family. So, if the kids are happy, if we're healthy, 
um, and we're sort of leading. We can do not everything that we'd love to do, but we can do most things that we, we want to do. Um, and they're not expensive, but if we can do most of that, then yeah, that's that's successful um, mm. from the family point of view. From from a work side, from a work point of view now, um, it is just, yeah, giving real value to clients, doing, you know, real proper financial planning um, based around what, what's important to them in, in their life mm-hmm. um, and just continuing to build clients that, one, believe in that, um, you know, that the, the sort of the life planning comes first and, yeah, just building a, a nice client bank of, of those type of people, really. And when you say life planning comes first, um in your role what 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 does that mean to you uh to me it's um just about discussing what's important to them um and that'll sort of bring into what they want to do with their life and then trying to align their money with that and and helping them achieve whatever yeah you know whatever is important really yeah because it's it's kind of it's not about the money at the end of the day is it is it's about what money enables people yeah. to do all the lives that they they can choose to lead yeah yeah exactly that yeah yeah brilliant articulated better than I did <laughs> I'm not so sure but um but uh thank you for that now we're I'm conscious of um your time and um I'm gonna just start to wind us down now Davey with just a couple of uh questions that I like to ask all of my guests and the first one is um, maybe a little fri- frivolous, but it but it entertains me, and um, and that is what has been. We've spent a lot of time talking about money. Um, what what's been your best buy for under about thirty pound in the last year or so, and, and why was that? Um, so I'm going to be cheeky, and I hope you don't mind, but I'm going to go for two, um, go for and they combined add up to about thirty quid. Um, but the first one is that it was Rachel's birthday. And I bought a pack of 10 balloons, which was yeah. cheap as chips. Um, <laughs> and the kids have absolutely, they just love balloons. So that's given them endless fun. And also gives me a chance to have a coffee while I watch them smash balloons around the um, living room without the worry <laughs> of them breaking anything. So that's one. Um, and then two is I bought, I'm a bit, I quite like tech. And I bought a pen for my tablet recently off Amazon, which I think might have been £31. So slightly over. Um but yeah, I love that too quite honest. Um Brilliant. smugly sat away drawing on my tablet now. And and you you use that for taking notes and things and drawing and Yeah, so Brilliant. yeah, no, take it taking notes mainly. It is it is a work work laptop, mm-hmm. but um occasionally Livy might sort of just have a little go on one note drawing whatever she wants to draw. I have to say you've got me a um kind of electronic pens and tablets because I'm a I'm a total convert to a uh, electronic notebook. I, I use a remarkable and it's been a life changer for oh, me. Oh, is that good because I keep seeing it. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'll tell you more about it another time, yeah, but it, fine. yeah, it, it's it's so helpful, so helpful. Um and um finally Dave, you've kind of We've spoken about there's been a theme of money running through our conversation yeah. um, in various forms. And um, what one money pearl of wisdom as, as a young man kind of, well, you know, you're kind of a young man with lots of wisdom and experience, it feels to me, and you're just starting another career. What would be your money pearl of wisdom that you would like to leave our listeners with? Um, it's... It's a, an oldie but a goodie, but it would be to automate everything at the start of the month and then in terms of savings, I mean, um, and then just spend spend the rest. Mm, 
So, so what you mean by that is um, not 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 you leaving the amount that you save to what you end up with at the end of the month after you've done everything else. Like put that right up front and then yeah. spend what's worth. Yeah, basically. Um, yeah, exactly that. So start of the month. Um, have a standing order or direct debit to, to whatever savings or investment accounts you have. Um, so it goes and you just treat it like a bill like you would your rent or mortgage or, or sky bill or phone bill, yeah. for, for example. Um, yeah. And then you can sort of, I, I've always had the view that as long as you're saving enough and that's um, a different conversation, but then you can happily spend the rest without you know worrying too much. And it's such a simple thing to do, isn't it? But it's it's but it's a change in so many people's mindsets. But you're absolutely right. I think if you can nail that yeah. and nudge it up each year, yeah. then you're, you're going to be um, onto a, a, a kind of comfortable future. Brilliant, thank you, David. It's really been an absolute pleasure. I'm glad we eventually managed to get together to, to do this, and that was my bad for um, dilly dallying no, around. But not at all. Love talking to you. Um, so many wonderful things there to learn. And um, I, I really appreciate the time. Thank you. No, thank you so much, Rufus. Yeah, like I said before, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Bye for now. Bye. Oh, I just love Davy's story of looking up from the scrum to see Johnny Wilkinson. Can you imagine that? And I was also really taken with his definition of team and that that team begins at home. So true. Now, before you go, a quick shout out for my next guest, a woman called Lindsay Levin. Lindsay is a serial entrepreneur, an author, a TEDx speaker, and she founded and is the CEO of an incredible organisation called Leaders Quest. She also co-led the launch of an organisation called Future Leaders after the Paris Climate Agreement back in 2016. And from this role, she has spearheaded the launch of TED Countdown. Now, TED Countdown is an incredible um, global effort, a partnership designed to accelerate solutions to the climate crisis. So if you're looking for inspiration, you won't want to miss this pod. Take care of yourself and I look forward to talking to you again soon. So that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I'd really appreciate it if you could take a couple of minutes of your time to go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast to subscribe, rate, and give a five-star review for Money Expresso. Apparently, this helps more people to find the podcast so we can help more people think differently about their money and their life. If you've got any thoughts, comments, or questions on any of the matters discussed, or life and money generally, I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me on Twitter or LinkedIn at Ruth Sturkey. Of course, the conversations with my guests are not intended as advice. My intention is to merely share our guests' money and life experiences to entertain, educate and inform you. Any form of investing involves risk and the value of your investments may go down as well as up. So please do speak with a financial planner before making any investments to make sure they're the right ones for you. Thank you. <music>